Thanks for tuning in to Dream City Omaha, where we're all about helping each other discover Christ, recover identity, and uncover purpose. We hope this message impacts your life, and be sure to like and subscribe for more. Today we're going to get into the Word. Uh, for those of you that are, are just joining us, we've been reading through the Bible chronologically together. As a church, January 1st, we said, here's what, here's what God's calling us to do this year. It's to start in Genesis 1, and every day we're going to read through it, not just how it's laid out in Scripture, because, because in the Bible, when they, when they put the canon together, they didn't put it together chronologically. They broke the Old Testament up into sections. And so you have the first five books, which is the law, and then you get into the history. You have wisdom and poetry, major prophets, minor prophets. And so, so it's, it's all there, but it's not put together necessarily in chronological order. How when we pick up a book and we read, it's always in chronological order. And so what we're doing is we're reading through chronologically, and then on Sundays when we gather, we we kind of talk about what we've read that week. And so this week we, we finished reading the book of Exodus. Today we're starting the book of Leviticus. How many of you are excited about that? One person is excited about reading the book of Leviticus. How many of you are a little like, ah, I just got to get through the next month? The next two weeks, I think two, two weeks or so, we're in the book of Leviticus. It's only like 27 chapters. And so we can do it. But, but here's the thing, and, and, and I've grown up in church, right? Like, my earliest memories are sleeping under the front row as my dad preached two and a half hour sermons. And so, like, that's, that's just how I grew up. And you laugh like I'm joking, but that's true stories. So I've grown up in church, and, and typically what happens, because we, we are under the new covenant, it's a covenant of grace, it's a covenant paid for by the blood of Jesus and the sacrifice, and God's power through him and resurrecting him from the dead on that third day. Because we're under the new covenant, typically when it comes to the law and Leviticus, we can kind of like have this negative connotation. Not that it's bad, but just negative in the sense that like it's boring. I'm going to tell you, it is boring. But we can also have this thought like it doesn't apply to me. But here's the thing. As New Testament believers, we can stand up all day, every day, and say that Jesus was the fulfillment of the law. But if we don't have an understanding of the law, we'll never understand what Jesus fulfilled. Like You want to know the price that Jesus paid? You want to you really understand the sacrifice that he made for you? Understand the law. And so as we read the book of Leviticus, I would encourage you, don't get discouraged. Don't just tune it out. Don't just like have it like that TV show that's on in the background while you're doing other things. Like really read it with intentionality and keep in mind where we are in terms of history, in terms of the nation of Israel who have just been delivered and set free. They're walking with God through the wilderness. And now God comes and he tells Moses, make for me a tabernacle so that I might dwell with my people. Now here's the question, how can a, a holy and righteous God dwell amongst sinful people? How can, how can a holy God come and make his habitation among a nation of people who are, who are in their hearts utterly wicked, that's all of us. The answer to that question is the book of Leviticus. How can he dwell? How can, how can he keep his sacred space sacred? It's the book of Leviticus. I don't want to get 
into that today. We will get there, I promise you, um, next week. But just want to encourage you, as you read through the book of Leviticus, I want you to ask yourself two questions. What does this teach me about living in relationship with God? And what does this teach me about the work of Christ? Those are the two questions I want you to think about as you read through. Next week, we'll come back, talk about it. But today, we're going we're gonna to finish up our study in, in Exodus. Last week, we talked about the pattern that God establishes. It's a pattern of, of redemption and consecration and inheritance. He redeems Israel from slavery in Egypt. He consecrates them, sets them apart, calls them out as a nation, establishes them as a nation, and then gives them an inheritance. You will be my people and I will be your God. I will dwell among you. And, and as part of that, Moses was given the instructions for the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God. And, and a lot of times when we think about the book of Exodus, we think Exodus ends at chapter 15 with the parting of the Red Sea. But really, like that's just the beginning of the story. Yeah. That's not the end. That's that You're still in the introduction at that point because they're in the wilderness for 40 years. So God gives Moses the, the instructions for the tabernacle. I told you last week when you read through the instructions to, to think about creation. What is this? How, do, how does creation fit into and what is the picture and the symbology in that tabernacle? Seven times in Genesis, we see God speaking and things happening. God said, let there be light, right? He speaks and he separates the day from the night and the land from the sea. Seven times between Exodus 25 and Exodus 30, the Lord says to Moses, God speaks instruction. God speaks, here's how it is to be, giving divine order. On the seventh day in creation, what did Jesus do? What did God do? He, he rests. He observed the Sabbath. The, the last time that, the seventh time that God speaks to Moses, it is to remember the Sabbath. The entrance to the Garden of Eden was which direction? East, all of you Bible scholars. As we read the instructions for the tabernacle, the, the entrance to the tabernacle was facing which direction? East. As Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, what did God place there to guard the sacred space? Two cherubim. On the curtain of the tabernacle and the curtain separating the, the, the courtyard from the holy place and the holy place from the holy of holies, what is embroidered on the curtains? Cherubim. Why? Because cherubim are always there to guard the sacred space. Space. And so we see in the garden, we see in the tabernacle, God, God creates. And at the end of it all, it says that God blessed his creation. Moses, hearing the instructions of the Lord, he, he, he makes everything and then he blesses the people. So we see that God creates in the garden a space for him to dwell with his creation. Sin comes in, defiles the sacred space. Adam and Eve must leave. God comes, gives instructions for the tabernacle because, again, he wants to come and dwell with his people. In his New Testament, believers, last week, we rejoiced in the fact that Jesus came to make his dwelling among us. And as he ascends into, the, into to heaven, he said, you will receive the promised Holy Spirit. So now that, that I am the dwelling place of the Spirit of God. Like, I don't have to come to church and I don't have to rely on a priest to go into God's presence once a year for me, but I, I have God's presence in me and I can experience it every day. So that's where we were last week. Today, we're going to to, to conclude the, the story of Exodus, and this week we read about how that Moses went up the mountain, was given the Ten Commandments, and again we see visions of Charlton Heston coming down and smashing the tablets. And this week I want to I focus our attention on Exodus chapter 32, which is 
if you'll remember the story of the golden calf. It's one of those scenes in the movie that always stuck with me. Seeing Aaron and the, the nation of Israel worshiping the, the golden calf. And so today, Exodus chapter 32 is where we're going to begin. I'm going to start reading verse number one. We're going to read through verse eight. If you don't have your Bibles, that will be on the screens for you. It says this, that when the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. How long was Moses up there? 40 days. They gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We, we don't know what happened to this fellow Moses. Like, hey, Aaron, you remember that one guy? What was his name? Moses. Moses. You remember Moses? I don't know what happened to him. So maybe, you know, if you have some time this week, could you make us some gods who can lead us? We don't know what happened to Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said this, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. And all the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down and molded it into the shape of a calf. I'm going to read that one more time. Aaron took the gold, he melted it down. And he molded it into the shape of a calf. Now, in the English, we read calf, but, but really it was a bull. So it wasn't like just like this, this baby cow. It was this, it was this bull. Because in, in this time, in this day and age, the bull was a, a common, common symbol for, for different deities in that region. The bull was a sign of strength. The bull was a sign of Fertility, So it was commonly used as an idol uh, to, to worship other deities. So, so he makes this calf, he, he makes this bull, he fashions it. And here's what he says, when, when, when the people saw it, they exclaimed, Oh, Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. These are the gods. Aaron saw how excited they were. So what does he do? He builds an altar in front of the calf. And then he announced... Tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. People got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. And after this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking and they indulged in pagan revelry. They, they partied hard. The Lord told Moses, quick, go down the mountain. Your people who you brought out of the land of Egypt. I love this. Right? Because, because initially God's like, hey, guys, Come on out here and worship me and follow me and, and I will be your God and you will be my people and I will deliver you from, from Egypt. And now they've turned their backs and God's like, hey, Moses, your people. Because those, those ain't my people. Moses, it's, it's like as a parent. Right? Like when, when your kids do something wrong, it's never your kids that do something wrong. Right? Angels never coming to me and is like, John, you'll never believe what my kids did today. She has never, not once in 16 years of marriage came and said, guess what my kids did today. It's always your kids. Look what your kids have done. 
would you get control of your kids? And that's kind of what God is saying to Moses here. He says, your people who you brought from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. How quickly they have turned away from the way I commanded them to live. They've melted down gold and they've made a calf and they've bowed down and they've sacrificed to it. They're saying, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. God, I pray that over the next few moments, you would anoint every word that comes from my mouth, that they would not be my words, but may they be your words, because my word accomplishes nothing. But your word does not return void. It accomplishes the purpose that it was sent out for. So Lord, as your word goes forth today, I pray that it would take root in our lives. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would, you would anoint my mouth, anoint our ears, that, that you would do what only you can do, whatever you want to do. Holy Spirit, would you have your way in our hearts and in our minds today as we study your word. May we, may we discover aspects of your character. May it, may it reveal things in us. I pray that we would be encouraged and challenged and transformed by the power of your word this morning. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. 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 They've, they've left Israel. They've been wandering around, Israel, around this wilderness area for, it's been about 90 days to this point. Roughly three months they've been out in the desert. Moses is called up to Mount Sinai from, from God, by God. What's interesting in another tabernacle reference and in, in picture is when Moses is called up. God tells Moses, he says, keep the people at the base of the mountain and then you and Aaron and 70 leaders can come up the mountain a little ways and then only you, Moses, may come all the way up into my presence. And in the establishment of the tabernacle and later in the temple worship, we see that the courtyards were open to everybody. Anybody could come to the courtyards, but then only the priests could enter the holy place and then only the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies. See, God is a God of divine order, and he's always, he's always giving it. He's always laying it out. There are always very clear instructions on how to live with God, how to worship God, and he, he gives them this, and so they've been out there for 90 days. Moses has been up on the mountain. Moses has been up on the mountain for 40 days now. At this point, the people get anxious. They, they, it's kind of like this situation where the honeymoon is over. Right? Like, we've been out here long enough, and everything was good. Everything was great. When the Red Sea parted and we walked through, that was fantastic. But now we're at this point where it's like, what are we doing? Where are we going? I don't know what's happening. And they so quickly, they so quickly turn from what God had called them to in that moment. See, they've been set free. But now, and as we continue to, to study, for the next 40 years, they have to be, they have to be taught how to live free. Because it's one thing to be set free, it's another thing to, to live free. And in your life, maybe you've accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, and you've been set free. Free from the bondage of sin, free from the power it had over you. But now that I've been set free, I must learn how to live free and maintain that, that freedom that is found in Christ. I've said it before and I'll continue saying it, that salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you everything. 
Pastor Dobie was, was referencing and referring to that this morning. Jesus would often tell people when people came and said, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. He said, okay, the, you know, the, the birds have nests and foxes have dens, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. And he's like, well, forget that. I'm not signing up for that. And the man walked away. Another man came and said, I've obeyed every command. What else must I do? He says, sell everything and give it to the poor. He walked away sad. Why? Because he had a lot of stuff. Salvation is free, but following Jesus in discipleship will cost you. He told the disciples, leave your nets, leave your boats. Come, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Leave everything that you knew and leave your comfort zone behind. Come, follow me, and I will take you places and, and cause you to do things that you never thought were imaginable. And it's not you, but it's me in you. But that's only if you are willing to pick up your cross, to die to yourself, and to follow me. So as we look at this story, it's really a story from, from here on, the story about how do, how do we maintain freedom? What does that look like? What must we do if I've been set free? How do I stay free? I want to give you three things today that I see in this text. If you want to stay free, the first thing that you have to do is you have to stop misremembering. Stop misremembering. As we read through the Exodus and later as we read in the book of Numbers, we will oftentimes find the, the Israelites complaining. It's like traveling with a bunch of little kids. Are we there yet? No, we're not there yet. When are we stopping for food? I have to go to the bathroom. She's touching me. All of these other, you know, if you've traveled in the car with Loki, you understand that setting. And really, that's kind of how the Israelites are. We, we see it numerous times. Earlier in the book of Exodus, they said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? This is when they're up against the Red Sea. Pharaoh's pursuing them from behind. Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you, listen, didn't we tell you this would happen? While we were still there, we said, leave us alone. Just let us stay here. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians because it's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse. I don't remember you saying any of that. <laughs> Didn't we say to you to leave us alone, Moses? Didn't we say we would rather just be slaves? Just take us, just take us back there. Later in Exodus chapter 16, Moses missed the exit for Chick-fil-A, and look what they said. They said, if only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt. There, we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. Apparently, they weren't on keto. But now you've brought us into this wilderness to what? To starve us all to death. At least we had some food in Egypt. Take us back Take us back to slavery. Take us back to bondage. It was better in Egypt. Like, really? They were killing, they were throwing your babies into the Nile River. And you want to go back for some meat and some bread? I wish you would have left us. It was so much better over there. Really? 
They were, they were making you make bricks and having to gather your supplies at the same time. And, and that's what you want to go back. You're misremembering what Egypt was really like. They continue in, and then they get a little bit thirsty. They continue to argue, why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us, our kids, and our livestock with thirst? Why are we here? And, and every time they complain, what does God do? He parts the Red Sea. He gives them manna from heaven. He gives them water from a rock. God's, God's always there to answer, but they're misremembering what bondage was like. Isn't that so much like us, though? Like, we can read that and be like, why would you want to go back to being a slave? Like, why would you want to go back to them murdering your baby boys? Why would, you, why would you want to return to that? There's almost like this romanticization. Is that a word? Yeah. I just created it, if not. <laughs> Merriam-Webster, you got nothing on me. There's this romanticizing. Yep. Romanticizationism. <laughs> There's this romanticizing of what it was like. And if we're not careful, we can do the same. Because we encounter and we experience Jesus and we're set free. We begin this journey of discipleship. We begin this journey of freedom and we start reading God's word and it starts asking uncomfortable questions of us. Starts challenging us to things that maybe we weren't, we, we, we didn't see in the contract originally when we signed it. We start hearing about things like the tithe. We start, we start being, being convicted by the Holy Spirit in our lives of those unhealthy relationships. The sin in our lives, the unhealthy thought patterns, the, the ways that we're living in the Holy Spirit. It's like, oh no, you, you need to change that. You need, you need to get rid of that. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like it was better before I knew Jesus. Like I just want to go back to there because at least there I could do whatever I wanted. I just want to go back there because at least there I didn't feel guilty about going to the bar with my buddies. I just want to go back there because at least there, we, we, we can play this game where we look back on the life that we used to live and, and there's this, this tendency to want to be drawn back to that because we misremember what it was really like. They're like, we want to go back to slavery. No, you don't. You really don't because what happens is and I've seen it played out time and time again where people start walking and living for Christ and then they're tempted and enticed by their own evil desires is what James says and dragged away, fall into, tempt into temptation, fall into sin, find themselves back in slavery to sin. And it's like, why did I do this? Why, why, why do I continue to go back to this? Proverbs says like a, like a dog returning to its vomit. That's what it's like when we continue to go back, but we, we misremember what it was like. Not only did they misremember slavery, they, they misremembered what, was, what it was like in, in Egypt, but they misremembered who brought them out. 
They, they formed this calf in 32 and said, Israel, look, these are the gods that brought you out of Egypt. Like, I'm sorry, what? They misremember who, who did it. They start to, to form these idols and they start to worship this idol. And when God said, I was the one who with my mighty hand delivered you from Pharaoh. I was the one who did that. And as long as they could see God and as long as they could see Moses, they were good. All right, let's go. There's a cloud and there's fire. All right, let's go. But now they're at this place where Moses is gone. The pillar is gone. The cloud is gone. There's lightning on the mountain. I don't know what's happening. Who's going to lead us? Where are we going to go? We can't go back to Egypt. We don't know where this promised land is. We don't know what's around the next door. What are we going to do? So let's, let's, let's form something. Let's make something up that we can worship. You ever heard that, that saying, dance with the one who brought you? Israelites never heard that. God brought you out. It was not this calf, it was not this bull, but they, they formed this image unto themselves that they might worship something. Listen, they just wanted to worship something. They just wanted to worship something. And you have that same bent within you. Each and every one of us created to worship something. The question is not, will you worship? But the question is, what will you worship. They formed this calf. Now, here's an interesting thought. As I was studying and as I was preparing, I, I, I came across this interpretation. I've never really heard anybody preach on the golden calf because, again, we just let Charlton Heston and those images do all of that for us. And so I've never really heard anybody preach on this. I've never really studied it for myself. And I've always just grown up in the church thinking like, well, they made this false god. And as I was studying, I, I came across this interpretation that, that suggests that maybe they weren't worshiping this calf as a false god, but maybe really what they were doing is, is they were making for themselves a visual representation of God. Because Aaron, after he makes the calf, what does he do? He builds an altar and says, tomorrow we're going to offer sacrifices to the Lord, to Yahweh. Yeah. And so even in this process, Aaron is like, listen, we're, we're worshiping Yahweh. We're sacrificing to Yahweh. We're just going to worship him in our way. And we're just going to make this, this image of God. What are they doing? It, it, it may not necessarily be that they are replacing God with another small g God. But what it might be is that they are taking God and putting him into an image that they can understand and comprehend. And as you think about that, like, we do that so often. Like, God, I will worship you, but I will worship you on my terms. And I will worship you as long as it looks the way that I want it to look. And I will, I will worship you, but I will, I will have this other visual representation that tells me when you're moving and tells me when you're blessing. And as long as my bank account keeps going up, 
this golden calf that I've created, as long as, as long as that's good, as long as my relationships are good, as long as my kids are good, as long as whatever that visual representation of your worship to God in your life is good, then we're fine. It may not be that they broke the first commandment, which was what? You shall have no other gods but me. But that they broke the second commandment, which was you shall not make any image. Because the people around you, the nations around you are going to worship images. I don't want you to worship an image. I don't want you to bow down to an image. I want to be in relationship with you and I want your worship to be directly to me because I'm going to dwell in your midst. They created and they put God in this box so that they could could understand him. What is the golden calf that you've created in your life? They misremembered, they misremembered slavery, they misremembered who brought them there. If we're going to stay free, the second thing that we have to do is we have to take responsibility. You have to take responsibility. You have to stop making excuses. Stop making excuses. Devil didn't make you do it. The desires inside of you made you do it. The devil just presented you with an opportunity to do what you already wanted to do, and you chose to do it. Wasn't the the lady at the gym's fault? She shouldn't have been wearing that. Got real quiet all of a sudden. It's her fault. She knows what she's doing. It's his fault. He knows what he's... No, it's... It's right here. We have to take responsibility. We have to stop making excuses. Moses comes down the mountain. He, he goes, Aaron's like, Aaron, bro, like, I was gone for 40 days. What did you do? Like, my guy, I left you in charge. What's happening here? Look at Aaron's response to Moses. He says, Moses, listen, man, don't get so upset. He says, you yourself know how evil these people are. <laughs> hey, Moses, remember when they were complaining at the Red Sea? You know how evil they are. Remember when, when God gave them manna and we told them like, hey, every day come out and just take one day's worth of manna. Remember, remember those that tried to take two jars full and it was covered in mold? You know how evil they are. Remember when they were complaining about being thirsty and so God brought water from, you know, Moses, like, listen, I don't have to tell you, right? Even God told you, your people. Like Moses, these are my, these are your people. They said to me, these people, they said to me, make us gods who will lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. Go on. So I told them, whoever has gold jewelry, take it off. That's all I said. And then, and then when they brought it to me, I just took it and there was this fire there. And so I just, I just threw it into the fire. And when I threw it into the fire, poof, out came this calf. Moses, don't get mad at me. I, I just asked if they had jewelry. They brought it to me, and then I dropped it in the fire, 
And after I dropped it in the fire, poof, this calf appeared. Like, it's not my fault. Moses, it's not my fault. But remember what we read earlier. Earlier in the chapter, right? He, he, he told him, bring it to me. What does he do? He melts it down in the fire. Then he takes and he fashions a calf. He was involved this whole time. It was never just poof. It happened. He's shifting blame. He's making excuses. But how many times when confronted with our sin do we say, poof, it just happened. Poof, it just happened that I cheated on my taxes for 12 straight years. I was just at work. And my boss turned around and the cash register was open. And then, poof, the money was in my pocket. I was just at the gym and this guy came up and started talking to me. And then, poof, I was in his back seat. I was just out with the guys. They just wanted to go have a drink. And then poof, my life was changed forever. I didn't, I didn't plan on this. This was not my intention. It's just, it's just where I happened to end up. Listen, every reaction begins with a thought. Now, here's what's interesting. When you read the original and you understand the original language that this is written in, when the Bible says that they gathered around Aaron, like we think, well, you know, they're like town hall, like everyone was just kind of like, hey, we're going to go talk to Aaron. That word in the, in the original language to gather around Aaron actually has a militaristic connotation to it. When kings would gather the army for war, it was this word. When people would gather themselves for battle, it was this word. So Aaron, when they gathered around Aaron, it wasn't just like, hey, can we have five minutes of your time? It was, we're going to hurt somebody and we're going to do it now unless you do something for us. His actions were preceded by his thoughts and his original thought was probably these people are going to kill me. His next thought was, I better do something to appease them. His next thought was, let's see, it worked in Egypt and it works in Canaan and it works in Midian and it works all of these other places. So why don't I just make a visual representation of God? He has these thoughts, which then lead to actions, which takes him to this place where now Moses is like, what did you do? It's time for us to start taking responsibility for our thoughts, taking responsibility for our actions, take responsibility for our spiritual growth. Men, it's time for us to start taking responsibility for our families. Start taking responsibility. Start taking your thoughts captive. Whatever you find yourself thinking about is what in six months you will find yourself doing. Go home and just, just ponder that. What am I meditating upon? Am I meditating upon those evil desires inside of me? Am I allowing those thoughts to continue to run rampant in my mind? If so, that's what I will end up 
doing because my thoughts will lead to my actions or am I meditating on God's word? Am I meditating, am I studying, am I spending time thinking of his goodness and his faithfulness and his mercy and his righteousness and the way that he has called me to live? Am I, am I spending time in his presence? What am I doing? Am I taking responsibility? Pastor John, disciple my family. Pastor Kevin, Pastor Sarai, disciple my kids. Take responsibility. That's on you. That's on you. You are your family, men. I'm talking to you. You are your family's pastor. You are the priest. Bible says you are the priest in your home. Are we doing that? How are we doing it that? I think when we look around and we see the the way that the family unit is being dissolved and attacked by the culture that we live in, it's time for a generation of men to stand up and say, no longer, I'm going to take responsibility for my family and fulfill the God-given role that God has given me. And single ladies, listen, I pray for you every day. You are the priest in your home. You lead in your home. You are the leader. You can do it. You have what it takes. But we have to start taking responsibility. If you are going to maintain a life of freedom and refuse to go back to slavery and bondage and sin and the way that you lived, you have to start taking responsibility. And part of taking responsibility is recognizing and making changes. Where is this road that I'm on taking me? That's not where I want to go. So I need to make an adjustment. Quick course corrections every day will save you from having to drive five hours in the wrong direction later to get back to where you were wanting to go. Every day, take responsibility. The third thing that I see in the scripture, and if we're going to live a life of freedom, is we have to draw a line in the sand. Moses comes down the mountain, Aaron, what happened? Aaron's like, see, what had happened was it wasn't my fault. This calf just magically appeared. Moses is like, okay. Like, that's how you guys want to play this? And then he goes real Old Testament on him. Here's what Moses does. Look, let's continue. Moses stands at the entrance to the camp and he shouts, all of you who are on the Lord's side, Come here and join me. What's he doing? He's saying, listen, I'm going to be on this side of the line. Anybody who wants to be on God's side, come join me. Like that scene in Sandlot, right? Where it's too hot to play and Benny's like, okay, anybody that wants to be a can't hack it, panty waist, who wears their mama's bra, raise your hands. And everybody's like, yeah, let's go swimming because that's me. <laughs> Sorry, is that too, is that too much? Okay. I saw some of your faces. Like, did he really just say bra in church? <laughs> some cheeks getting red out there. But that's what Moses is doing. He's saying, listen, I'm going to be on this side of the line. Anybody who wants to be on God's side, come and join me. All the Levites gathered around Moses. And look at what Moses tells them. This is what the Lord, this is in my plan. This is God's plan. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Take your swords. Go ahead, go to that next scripture. Take your swords. Go back and forth from one end of the camp to the other. Kill everyone, even your brothers 
your friends, and your neighbors. And the Bible says that 3,000 of them were killed that day. Anybody who wants to be on God's side, come join me. They gather around him. Here's what God says. Each of you take your swords, go through the camp, and anyone who is still left on that side of the line, put them to death. Because they have no place in the nation, the people that God is consecrating and setting apart. They have no place in the inheritance that God is giving them with where he is taking us. There has to be a line drawn in the sand. And this is one of those moments where they draw this line in the sand. And anyone who wants to be with God, join me. But if you don't join us, then you're against us. And they go through and they put to death 3,000 friends, neighbors, what is that saying? That's saying, listen, this is serious business, number one. Like, if you want to maintain your freedom, there needs to be very clear lines drawn in the sand. No longer will I. No longer will I do what I used to do. No longer will I let my eyes wander. No longer will I go without a filter on my phone. No longer will I continue texting that person one-on-one -on -one with no accountability. No longer will I. But today I'm determining that I'm going to get connected to a group of people who will hold me accountable and sharpen me as iron sharpens iron. I'm determining today that I'm going to join a small group and I'm going to be surrounded by people to love and to encourage me. I'm determining today that I'm going to get into God's word and let God's word get into me because only does the gospel have the power to transform my life. I'm determining today that the way I used to live is not the way that I'm going to live. I'm determining today that I'm going to lead my family. Draw a line in the sand because it's serious business. But it also shows us that there are things that once that line gets drawn, that will need to be put to death in our lives. Maybe it's an unhealthy relationship. And you say, you know what? No longer will I be torn between two worlds because I can't be a citizen of, uh, of the kingdom of heaven and a citizen of the world. I can't be a part of this kingdom and this kingdom. But I'm determining today that I'm going to live for God. And as part of that, there are some things in my life that I have to cut out. There are some habits in my life that I have to cut out. There are relationships that I have to cut out. There are things in me that I have to cut out. God, would you, would you cut the pride out of me? God, would you cut the bitterness out of me? God, would you, would, you, would, you, would you help me to get rid of the unforgiveness that is in my life? They hurt me years ago and I haven't talked to them in so long, but today I'm drawing a line in the sand. I'm taking responsibility for my actions. Why? Because I want to walk in freedom. What lines need to be drawn in your life? What are those things that need to be cut out? What are the things that need to be killed? What are the things that need to be put aside? And I promise you, right now, the Holy Spirit is showing those to you. That thing that's in there right now that you're like, no, that can't be it. That's it. That's it. And if you have to question it, it's a double it. 
Jesus just triple stamped it. You can't triple stamp a double stamp, but he did. If you're, if you're there and the Holy Spirit's pointing his finger on something in your life and you're like, no, that's not God. I promise you it's God. Because that's the way he works. Because those are the things. Those are the things. Those are the things. Those are the lifestyle choices. Those are the habits. Those are the thought patterns. Those are the relationships. That if we don't deal with them now, we're going to continue to walk around the desert for years and years and years and years and years. Because we can never walk in the fullness of the promises that God has for us until we learn the lessons that he's trying to teach us in the seasons that we're currently in. So God, whatever you're wanting to do and whatever you're wanting to take out, whatever you're wanting to put in, whatever you're wanting to remove, God, I give you control to do that. Holy Spirit, would you empower us to do that? As we take responsibility, as we stop making excuses, there are no poof, it just happened. But may we take responsibility for our thoughts, responsibility for our actions. May we draw that line in the sand. It says, I will not cross this. I am on God's side. This is where I choose to live. And as part of that, yeah, we have to get rid of some stuff. And it hurts. You think it was easy for them to go through and... Their neighbors, co-workers, other parents at the baseball team, people they saw at the gym, their buddies from down the street, things that they had grown up doing. It's just one drink. It's not that big of a deal. She's just a friend, I promise. What are those things that we need to kill in our hearts and in our lives so that we can live in the fullness of the freedom that Christ has for us? Thank you, God, for setting us free. But now would you give us the courage, the determination to live free every single day? Stand with me this morning. If you're here with me today, or you're watching online, I wanna give you an opportunity. Maybe you're here and, and this message was for you. Maybe you're here and you're like, man, there's, there's things in my life that I know I gotta get rid of. I've given my heart to the Lord, but, but I wanna walk in the fullness of what he has for me. In just a moment, I wanna pray for you. But I feel like there are some that are here today, maybe you're watching online that Maybe you still find yourself in Egypt and you haven't even got out to the wilderness yet. You're not torn between two worlds because you are, you are fully a citizen in the kingdom of darkness. And today through the power of the Holy Spirit, you feel the conviction, you feel the tug, you know that the, the way that you're living is wrong. You, you recognize the sin in your life and the answer is the, the, the only the only answer for you is that somebody would come and live a perfect life, be the sacrifice, take upon themselves your sin, 
and pay the price for you. And the good news for you today is that Jesus has done that. Jesus fulfilled the law. He came as the perfect lamb. And because he shed his blood for you, you can have forgiveness of sins. And because on that third day he got up, you can have new life in him. And so today, if you're here, you're watching online and you recognize that that's you. I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I wanna pray with you really quick and welcome you into the kingdom of heaven. Church, would you help us to pray today? Just repeat this prayer after me. If that's you, just pray this prayer. Pray it out loud. Pray it from your heart. Just say, Jesus, thank you so much that you gave up your life so that I could have new life in you. Today, I recognize that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I've done things. I've said things. I've messed up more ways than I can count. Would you cleanse me and make me brand new? Give me a new heart, a new mind, a new spirit, and set me on a new path that I might live for you all the days of my life. I thank you for the sacrifice that you paid on my behalf, in Jesus' name. If you're here today and you've been set free, but you're struggling with that living free and staying free. You're struggling with tiptoeing back and forth and you find yourself continuing to go back to certain things. Maybe you're here and when we talk about taking responsibility, there is some conviction. There's some things that have been going on in your heart that you've just kind of pushed off to the side and like Aaron have just said, you know, just kind of, it just was, it, poof. Maybe you're here and you haven't drawn a line in the sand. There are no boundaries. There are no guidelines. There are no values there. It's just, you're kind of just being tossed by the wind. And when things are good, things are good. And when things are bad, things are bad. And the last two years have been this roller coaster of up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down. If we draw a line, if we take responsibility, if we, if we follow and live according to his word, then the promise is that when the rains fall, and the winds blow, that our house won't be shaken because it's placed on the solid rock. So today, if you're here and you say, Pastor John, I'm saved, I've been set free but I'm walking around the desert and I, I'm struggling with living free, struggling with staying free. I wanna pray for you today, but that's you. Would you just be strong enough and brave enough and courageous enough and bold enough just to, just to say, that's me, let me know. Just raise your hand right where you're at. Pastor John, would you pray for me today? Come on, anybody else? All over the place, all over the place. Here's the reality. we should probably all be raising our hands. Each and every one of us. Each and every one of us. Last week, we concluded the message and I told you that, that God delivered Israel, why? So that they could worship him, so that they could serve him, 
so that he could lead them into the fullness. See, they were delivered not just from something, but for something. Today, I just want to echo that. You've been set free, not just from something, but for something. And it's in this this journey of freedom, this journey of discipleship, this journey of spiritual growth that we begin to learn what that for is. God, what did you set me free for? I thank you for what you've set me free from, but God, help me to walk into the fullness of the four. Amen? Raise your hands if that's you. I want to pray for you right now. Lord, I thank you for the many that are here in person and the many that are watching online that say, God, that's me. I'm struggling, struggling with staying free, and I'm eternally grateful for for you setting me free. But God, help me to stay free. Help me to, to live free. Help me to every day put one foot in front of the other on this journey of freedom. Lord, today, I pray that you would, you would help us to remember, to not misremember who got us here, but, but, but also to remember what slavery and what bondage was like, that we would no longer romanticize the way we used to live. And at least then, and at least then, and, and, and I used to be able to, no, but because you've set us on a new path. Lord, I pray that you would help us to take responsibility for our thoughts, take responsibility for our actions, take responsibility for our businesses, take responsibility for our neighborhoods, take responsibility for our city, take responsibility for our families, take responsibility for our marriages, take responsibility for our kids, take responsibility for our futures, God. You would help us to take responsibility. Lord, I pray today that you would Give us all the grit and determination to draw a line in the sand. And even as Joshua, as we get into Joshua, at the end of his life stood up and said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. God, that there would be very clear lines drawn in the sand of our lives that tell us we will never cross that line and enemy, you have no place on this side of the line. God, whatever those things that we need to cut out and remove and put to death in our lives, Lord, we say today, God, do it. God, do it. God will do it. With strength, and courage and determination that we will live freely for you from this day forward. And now go with us this week. Give us opportunities not just to to be people of freedom, but to be vessels of freedom for those around us. God, that we would be free people who free people speaking healing and wholeness and the truth of your love, your mercy, your righteousness, your goodness, your justice, the truth of your character. And as people encounter the truth of your character and your love, that it would be life-changing and transforming for them as well. God, we love you. We thank you this morning. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you this morning. Hey. Listen, our prayer team, as always, our prayer team is down here. If you need prayer, don't rush out. If you need somebody to agree with you, that's what we're here for. We would love to be able to minister to you in that way. If you're going through a hard time right now, 
Let us pray with you and encourage you in that way. If not, feel free to be dismissed this morning. Love you guys. Be blessed. Leviticus, don't give up. Here at Dream City Omaha, we're all about three things. Helping people discover Christ, recover identity, or uncover purpose. If you enjoyed today's service, we encourage you to check out our past sermon series as well as our discipleship classes. Give us a subscribe and we hope that we can help you grow no matter where you are.